Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Brownie Points. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. And this is the podcast where a guy with a film degree and a guy who knows how to put in the Terminator and press play on his DVD player talk to you about movies. This week, Dan and I both have solo reviews. I went and saw Metallica SNM2. And I saw the winner of Cannes Film Festival's Palm Door, Bong Joon Ho's Parasite. Then we go to the theater and we both see Terminator Dark Fate of uh, the next film in a franchise that's gone on longer than my current bulk up season in the gym. Yeah. And then we took the time machine to 1980 and we saw the Stanley Kubrick horror classic, The Shining. All of that on this week's episode of Brownie Points. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. This week, we are doing solo reviews once again for our Brownie Bites segment. Usually for Brownie Bites, we like to talk about something that happened in the news or some trailers that came out or give each other some ideas uh, for like uh, thought pieces, uh, like make a list of this or that. But once again, Nick and I decided to spend this week's Brownie Bites segment each talking about a movie that we saw separate from one another I went and saw the film that won the Palme d'Or at this year's Cannes Film Festival back in May, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Nick, what did you see? I went and saw, uh, revisited actually, the subjects of our first documentary film. Uh, I went and saw Metallica SNM 2. All right. And with that, um, I will keep mine relatively quick because, I mean... I don't want to do spoilers for this. <laughs> I don't want to really do spoilers have, for this we one. Have a of, this won't take long, and then it's like, oh yeah, it's been three days. I haven't ate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, for like for real, like I I hope you see this movie in time, and I don't want to spoil um, for the listeners, especially because Nick hasn't seen it too. I've actually um, not heard about it. Like I've heard nothing. I thought I've talked to you about this before, like at least. Have I not, haven't I talked to you about it at least a little bit? Do you realize how much we talk now? Like, I don't remember everything we talk about, man. Okay, well, this film, well, is, well, for you, I'll give full context. I hadn't heard about this film until back in May or June, whenever Cannes was. And Cannes is one of the most prestigious film festivals that a film can go to. Like, it's arguably bigger than Sundance, South by Southwest, Telluride, Tribeca. It's the festival of festivals. That's why maybe, I mean, I don't know if you have, but like some people use the, uh, the phrase, Oh, this, uh, target is the cans of, uh, the cans of department stores or, uh, Wawa is the cans of gas stations. Like, that's where uh, that's come from, but maybe is that's it a Victoria's little. Victoria's Secret is the bra of cans. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that Victoria's Secret. <laughs> that was that, that was. <laughs> I would say Vic- I, the, the proper use of that would be Victoria's Secret is the cans of women's underwear stores, but <laughs> it doesn't work. It, it works. It doesn't make my joke work when you say it like that, though. 
I know. I know. I'm I'm being a grammar Nazi. I, well, I mean, that's not even the right way to put it, but you get what I'm trying to say. So this <laughs> film won the Palme d'Or, which is uh, the equivalent of Best Picture. This was the best film of the year, according to the jury and the judges of the Cannes Film Festival this year. And as I said, it's from South Korean director Bong Joon-ho, who... I personally know through his films, uh, The Host, which was an amazing monster movie. Um, I didn't see Mother, but I really wanted to see – I wanted to see that. Um, and no, I'm not talking about the Darren Aronofsky film. Um, so is this a horror movie? No, it's a kind of a social satire. Um, okay. The other films that uh, – you should know Snowpiercer. Didn't you see Snowpiercer? Uh, who's in it? Uh, Chris Evans, um, the guy from Alien, Tilda Swinton, um, um, oh, who else? Uh, one of the actors here in Parasite was in it too. Um, no, it, it's the movie that it. takes place on the train. It's like the social, it's like the social class movie, but it all takes place on the train. No, I didn't see it. I think the last like train movie I saw was Train to Bus- Busan. Oh right, that's that's ironically a movie I haven't seen yet. Um, <laughs> it's actually really good. Like, oh no, I've I've heard Train to Busan is amazing. I just haven't really gone good. out of my way to see it yet. Um, but then he also did most recently did uh, Okja for Netflix. Uh, that was the film about the uh, the giant super pig pig farmers uh, in Korea. <laughs> um, b- but that's a good preface to. He always has a little bit of social commentary when it comes to any of his movies. Uh, like when it came to The Host, it was about pollution that turned into a monster movie. Um, Okja was about mass food production. Uh, the um, Snowpiercer was about uh, social class when in the face of the apocalypse. I mean, obviously that's hyper exaggerated, but um, now we have Parasite. Which, in itself, plays out very much like a metaphor. Um, not trying to spoil so much of it, because the trailers actually do a really great job of not giving away that much, which is uh, really uh, paramount to seeing this movie, I believe. Like, I usually don't mind going into a movie relatively blind or, like, um, I mean, obviously overexposure to trailers like we are for Did the show. Did you go into Don't Breathe blind? <laughs> Say that again? Did you go into Don't Breathe Blind? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was good. Um, what about but no, Ray? Like, huh? What about Ray? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I... Blind mo- oh, what about Daredevil? Did you go into that one blind? Oh, God, I wish I was blind when that movie was done. That was horrible. <laughs> Take that, Ben Affleck. You're a great, girl. You're a great director, but you're a terrible Daredevil. Um... But so I'd seen this trailer for the movie like once or twice, and I heard all the news around it. But I also I will advocate that you see this movie as relatively blind as possible because it's it's incredibly unpredictable. And the way that it plays out um, between the dynamics between the two families is just I'll give you the basic setup. There is a family in South Korea that is literally, like, living in a basement apartment. They're barely making ends meet. Various members of the family, like, uh, the father hasn't worked forever. The mother um, has just got this, like, attitude on her, and she hasn't worked forever either. And then the two youngest—and then the two children are, like, 
one just graduated uh, not too long ago, and the other one, I guess, also graduated. It's, I guess it's, it, they're really close to each other in age. They're, like, in their early 20s. And they figure out a way to con themselves into a very, very, very privileged family's household, one as a English tutor and the other as um, a therapist for the two children of uh, this, again, very, very wealthy family. Uh, it, within the wealthy family, it's also a four-person fam four family. Uh, the father is a tech executive that's gone all the time and very emotionally distant. The mother is just kind of clueless. <laughs> She's... <laughs> um, she just is in the house. She needs a maid to help do everything, and she's just kind of – she's not disabled to say that. She's just very um, – she just – Lazy? She, yeah, lazy. That's a good way to put it. She's very lazy. Um, and then the two children as well. They're younger than the children the lady, of the – The lady walks into the bathroom. There's just like a mountain of poop sticking up out of it. and Like, why there's don't some you flush it? It takes effort. It, <laughs> there's like a the hilarious Mount Everest of dumps. There actually is a hilarious scene where she's tr attempting to do laundry by boiling the clothes like in the kitchen. It's oh my god, it's hilarious. I, I thought you say there's a hilarious scene where she's attempting to do laundry and the one lady comes in and just like bends over, sprays diarrhea all over the freshly cleaned clothes and like skips away. No, this is not that kind of movie. <laughs> I was going to say what in the Larry the Cable Guy is going on here? No, 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 no. This movie's um so I mean, honestly, like, that's honestly the basic setup. And the way it goes from there and the way the rest of the poor family gets involved and the way that everything else un unfolds, I don't want to say anything else other than this movie is has a, is very smart. The way that it comments on social inequality is very much not in your face it's very character heavy it's, it's it's very much about getting to know these people and just the very clever way that the events of the film unfold is all about them it's not about the social commentary the social commentary is a side effect of the actual story and that's part of the brilliance of bong joon ho is that he never hits you over the head whether it's the host or snowpiercer it's never the or Okja even. It's never the point of it's never the social commentary that's driving the story. The story's side effect is making the point about whether he's critiquing this or critiquing that. And this honestly just plays out in such a beautiful, beautiful way. It's hilarious. It is scathing. It's very violent in moments, but it's also very touching in moments. It just – it's not an emotional roller coaster, but it's so humanly believable watching, again, the story play out the way that it does. Uh, the performances are incredible. Uh, one actor in particular that has been in a bunch of Bong Joon-ho films, uh, Kang Ho Song. Um, I remember him hilariously as uh, the father figure in The Host, and I saw that he was in Snowpiercer, but I don't remember who he was in Snowpiercer offhand, but – it's been a while since I've seen that movie, but... Um, he was the train. Yeah. <laughs> um, but honestly, everybody in the ensemble, I could read the entire cast list, but I'm going to butcher all their names, so I'm not going to do that for my own embarrassment. Um, just give this film a look. It is in very limited release right now. Um, 
it was only in three theaters, but it has been slowly expanding since it made so much money in New York and L.A. Um, I I can see why this could be considered up for best foreign language film come the Oscars in February. Um, I'm not going to be hyperbolic and uh, try to make my best of the year list right now, but uh, in terms of just my personal rating for this, this is a full pan of brownies with sprinkles on our scale. A phenomenal, if not outright masterpiece, is a full brownie pan with sprinkles. A, full, a pretty good film is a full pan of brownies. A so-so film, 50-50, that's a half pan. Um, a pretty awful movie all around is a single brownie, and a dumpster fire is a movie so bad it doesn't even get a brownie. It gets a cookie full of raisins. I say Parasite is a full pan with sprinkles. Nick, I really, really hope you get to see this. I'm assuming it's not going to come up there to you in Indiana because why would it? Why would a film like this come to Indiana we're all besides? Because and not artsy, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm not saying that you wouldn't appreciate this film. I'm just saying outside of Indianapolis, the general public outside of Indianapolis or maybe Bloomington wouldn't care for this movie. So that just makes me sad that Lafayette's probably never going to get this movie. So you'll have to probably stream it or I'll bring it up to you if I end up buying this on Blu-ray, which I also might do because I, I genuinely really love this movie. I Bong Joon-ho is absolutely one of the best directors working Um He's a he's a blessing from South Korea, and I, I, I will always look forward to whatever movie he ends up making. So, I will yield the floor. You saw another Metallica film, uh, technically our second Metallica film for the show. What was it like watching this? Was it was it, I'll I'll ask I'll start by asking was this like an outright concert film? Uh, yes. It so um to kind of give the setup for it uh at. Uh, the first S&M concert was a pretty huge risk. Uh, what the S&M concerts uh, were was uh, Metallica did a couple shows with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. And the reason being is the conductor of the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, which is where they're from, uh, Michael at the time was Michael Kamen. Michael Kamen on the Black Album, Metallica's biggest album, uh, was approached by the band and they asked him to do an uh, an orchestral part for uh, nothing else matters and they he he did he actually I think admitted to doing an entire like the entire song with an orchestra and Metallica dialed it back and dialed it back and dialed it back and dialed it back and it's not really in that much of the song but it is there um, there's a DVD about the making of the album that's very interesting because they interviewed Michael for it, and it was after the S&M concerts had happened, and um, what he said was interesting is uh, a couple years later after that, is, uh, a, after that um, when he heard, uh, or no, it wasn't a couple years later, when he heard the version, he actually ended up seeing Metallica at the Grammys that year, and... Uh, he said something to him about like, I'm Michael Kamen. I was the guy that did the orchestra. And they're like, Oh, we love what you did. And he goes, I couldn't really tell. Cause it's barely in the song. And they go, well, for our audience, you know, we, we dialed it back a lot. Um, but check this out. And they had in their bag called the elevator version of the song, which is literally James's one of James's guitar parts, James singing and just the orchestra. There was nothing. There was no Lar. There was no Lars drumming. There wasn't any Jason on on bass, and there wasn't any lead by Kirk. Um, it was just James and that. 
So they said we should do a concert together, and then years later they did it. Uh, this year is the 20th anniversary of the S&M concert, the original one. So they decided to do another one. And the thing that was uh, pretty interesting was at the time when they did the first S&M concert, that one was a huge risk just because no one was really doing that at all. Now you hear orchestra, like orchestral parts all the time in, uh, in heavy metal music. And there's several instances of people of bands doing this since then, but you didn't really hear it that much back then. Um, so this one, they, they, uh, they do several interesting things. Uh, and before I get to that, I just want to say, uh, from Dan and me, uh, thoughts and prayers to James Hetfield, uh, in some kind of monster, most of the movie is documenting um, him going to rehab and his struggles with his addictions and uh, how he changes a person. James recently went back to rehab for his alco- alcoholism, so thoughts and prayers. Uh, is he? Hope is he still? Works out for you, Papa Het. Is he still there as of this taping? As far as I know, yes. Okay. He, he ab- checked it. He checked in within a month of this concert happening, from what I understand. Oh wow! So the tur- okay, so the turnaround for filming to now is yeah, relatively quick. It, okay, it so. was honestly, um, what was, and what's kind of interesting is there's a part in the thing where they do like a commercial for their uh, their charity, the All Within My Hands Foundation, and there's a scene where James is talking to someone in that like kind of teaser for it, where he's got a cup. And it's one of those things where it's like, what's in the cup, James? Is it? Did you make a? Did you mix? Make a mixed drink? Um, but it's uh, it, it it was it was very uh, bittersweet to see James in this movie. Be just knowing that you know, right after this, he checks into rehab for. It's not said what it is, but most likely he relapsed drinking. Um, so, so is there, so is there any kind of real narrative with this or is it, no, like this, I said, like, this is not like through the never, this is like just, Hey, we recorded this concert. Okay. Um, so there, so outside of like, maybe like what's can't... interesting is they took a lot of camera techniques and, uh, stuff that it, watching this, you can tell they learned a lot from through the never because there's, there's some fantastic shots. There's one shot that I actually would love to have as like a, uh, like as a great cinematic shot where it's from behind James pointing at the camera. And yes, you see that in a lot of concert, uh, concert films, but in this one, James, like the, like what it focuses on is, is interesting because James is in focus. The crowd is out of focus and you can see a lot of depth with it. And that's something that I started. I noticed when I watched through the uh, through the never the first time was how cinematic it looked compared to how like just recorded it looked. Um, like the con the concerts that uh for the big four that Blu-ray I let you borrow when we were in high school. Um, yeah, those that was like a, just that was awesome. Those ones look like just recorded concerts. Uh, through the never and this look like a film. Okay. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be a hundred percent. I'm gonna be a hundred percent honest. I didn't even see the trailer for this. Like I like you just told me, hey, Fathom Events is doing a Metallica concert, and I'm like, okay. Like <laughs> the be- the best way I know how to describe it. So you know what a baseball game looks like on TV, right? Yeah, I've I've seen a handful. Yeah. <laughs> you know what a baseball game looks like in a 
uh, uh, Moneyball, right? Yes, we've seen Moneyball and we've okay. seen Bull Durham. I know how baseball looks on film. Okay. No, no, no. But what I'm getting, like, you know how, like, this, how, like, it looks, like, visually it looks. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. There's some, so, there's some so, beautiful shots in, uh, in Moneyball. Yeah. So this concert, this S&M 2 is the Moneyball of concert, of concert movies is the best way I know how to describe it. That's how it looks. It looks cinematic. It doesn't look like a recording of the sport on TV. Okay. Um, and pardon if I missed it. Um, did you say where they recorded this? Like, did they record this, this in was, AT&T this Park? This was the opening, opening, like, the Chase Center opened, uh, that's, it's where the Golden State Warriors play out in California. Oh, it's in that brand new Chase Stadium? So, yeah, so it opened, it, literally, this was the event to open the Chase Center. Oh, I kind of want to watch this streaming now like just so, i mean so like i love metallica but i i mean not as much as you but i kind of want to see what the interior of the chase center looks like so it's re- it's really cool the state like the stage setup's cool like a lot better because the f- uh, and it's hard to talk about this movie without comparing it to the first one but the first one really looked like they just like made the symphony orchestra and then they're like all right metallica here's like your little bit of stage you get to work with and it was it was in like a an orchestra theater. This one is an arena. Like this instead of like the first one was like on the on the symphony's terms. This one is on Metallica's terms, where it's like this is our environment. So they it's it's a lot more of the symphony complimenting them versus Metallica happening to be on stage with the symphony. I guess essentially yes. Okay. Um, it, what's, what is, uh, really interesting though, is they talk about it in like a, a brief documentary thing before the movie. Uh, they talk about how in the first one, the band wasn't really all that involved. Like they're like, they let Michael write, they give it, gave him feedback, but this time they really like the band took more, like did more risky things. Like the first one, the concert itself was the risk. In this one, it's not a risk. So the risks that were taken were were much more personal risks that involved the band. Um, a couple examples. There's uh, the the first half of the concert is just Metallica songs. Uh, there is an intermission. Um, I did get up to go to the bathroom during that because I was like, I really got to pee. Oh wait, there um, was really an outright intermission. There was an intermission. It, it didn't last the entire time. Like it fades in and it comes back up. And during the intermission, Lars introduces a couple of the people from the orchestra and the orchestra. I, I the one guy was just talking and I went out and went to the bathroom and came back and came back to them playing. Uh, I think they, I don't remember. It was something about the, uh, some, some sort of sort of Sprite was the song and it was a great song. And then they had a song they did called the iron foundry, which I don't remember who wrote it, but it's not a Metallica song and Metallica performed it on stage. So it was a cover song of an ancient of not an ancient of an old classical piece of music for heavy metal, not a heavy metal song with an orchestra in it. Um, and so that was one of the risks. There's another one where um, James uh, Metallica's got a song called "The Unforgiven Three, and in it, uh, in in the version for this one. The only person from Metallica on stage is James. He doesn't have a guitar. He just sings, and the orchestra plays all the music. Um, oh, that sounds was, awesome. That was great. 
Um, probably the best risk was when Lars was the only person from Metallica that was on stage. And what happened is uh, they had a guy play uh, that was a bassist play Cliff's uh, anesthesia uh, pulling teeth solo from Kill 'Em All, uh, but he played it on a bass with a bow. Um, it was fantastic. It was a really good rendition of the song. Wait, you say? Um, wait, you you said he plays the bass melody on a bow, or plays his bass like with the bow? Like he, play, he plays a he plays a symphony bass. He plays it with a bow. Oh, I <laughs> I, th- I I imagined him with his bass guitar, but he's stringing something across it. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's he you know like you know how like a bass player for a symphony plays. He plays well, yeah, it like yeah, that. no, but you're you're saying like an actual like bass, not like the yeah. bass guitar with the strings going across yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, like, But it's it's an electric bass. I see. Yeah, um, it, it's it's an actual classical bass. Yeah, but it's, electric. it's it's an electric upright bass. Yeah, not an actual bass guitar that he's stringing yeah. horse hairs across. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. So um, they they do that, and Lars is the only m- member of Metallica on stage, and he comes out and he plays the drums like in that, um, and then probably it it was probably the most interesting thing that they did was uh and it got me in the theater to go huh as soon as i recognized the song um metallica funny enough going back to our some kind of monster review the album metallica made was so poorly received they've essentially abandoned it um they really don't do much with it like their organization is named after a song off that album for their charity but wait what's the name of their charity don't do anything with that album they occasionally will play a song but at at the charity benefit they do for that organization uh they do it in all acoustic set and they uh they play all within my hands at it uh a couple i think twice because they've like three years old is that the name of the charity yeah, all within my hands, but the song is called "All Within My Hands" too. Oh, so I was gonna in say th- in this, they played they played a song from uh, Saint Anger. They played the acoustic version of "All Within My Hands" with the orchestra. Um, other than that, you know, like I said, the first half is is a good like this is a Metallica concert with an orchestra. The second half, they try a lot more things and take more risks and do things you typically don't hear Metallica do in a normal, you know, Metallica concert setting. Um, the thing that's interesting is there, you know, they do repeat songs that were from the original because uh, a lot of them are mainstays in their set, like Master of Puppets, one. Um, they they start off the concert the exact same way. They do the Ecstasy of Gold and they do the Call of Cthulhu. Um, but, uh, a lot of the orchestra parts are different. So you're not hearing the same orchestra version of the, of the same song. Um, in the original S and M, they debuted two new songs, uh, no leaf clover and minus human. Um, they don't play minus human, but they do play no leaf clover, which I find interesting. They didn't play minus human in a setting where that's really the only way you can really hear the song is with an orchestra. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. Um, the, uh, the, the one complaint I had, and it was more of the screening at like the theater I was at, I think they zoomed in too much because I was like, some of these shots aren't perfect, aren't really all that centered. And it looks, it looks like they were film centered, but it's just zoomed in too much. Was there spillover um, on the curtains? 
Uh, a little bit, I think. Ah, uh, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I'm obviously I'm the movie's audience, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I I can't wait for it to come out on Blu-ray because I can't wait to own own a copy of it and uh own a the CD version of it on and have the uh, that on my phone. I love I love the original one. Um, is SNM on? Is SNM one on DVD? Yeah, I, I own it. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, gotcha. it's it's very interesting to watch because, like I said, dude, it, they really are just like, here's the symphony orchestra and Metallica's on stage. Like, they kind of, <laughs> like, Metallica gets a little room to roam around, but not very much. In this one, they get a pretty good amount of stage. Well, they got um, a whole arena. They got a whole arena. Like, they should, it's yeah. good to hear that they realize that, like, hey, like Metallica needs more room to be Metallica. Like yeah. musically, you're going to still collaborate. You just don't have to move around. So let's give them the space yeah. that they're used to moving around with. Like if I'm yeah. hearing you right. Yeah. And it was, it, honestly, I, I really enjoyed the risks that were taken in the second half. Uh, just because it's, it, it, it shows, you know, effort to stretch your legs other than just like we're playing the same songs because one of the biggest challenges is you know um in uh the behind the scenes documentary for snm one they're talking with the band and lars kind of points out he's like you know we're used to kind of just going when we feel like we'll we'll do a song and have a hang and then we'll go into the next song and michael goes yeah you're gonna have to do that but with my structure but we'll make it feel like it's whenever you feel like it to the audience um so that was kind of their stretch was just like, well, we're kind of used to doing what we want to do. And now we're doing an orchestra where you have to go in time with uh, the maestro. And uh, this time they're like, we're actually going to take chances musically. Like we're going to play to, we're going to play along to a classical piece of music. We're going to let, we're going to let some guy do with a, uh, an orchestra style bass, do Cliff's bass solo. We're going to have James only sing on a song and have the orchestra do everything else. Um, it's very interesting, very fun. Um, I had a I had a really fun time. Kelsey went along with. Um, she really liked it. Um, I'm going to give it sprinkles. I'm I'm this movie's audience, so I don't feel <laughs> bad doing that, but um, I can't wait to have it have the version of it like on my phone to listen to while I drive and go to work and stuff. Uh, in my headphones nice. or in my car, but it's, it's, it was a blast. I was really looking forward to it once I saw that it was going to be able to, uh, cause I missed the original time it came out in like late September. Um, well, wasn't it, was only, wasn't, it, it wasn't going to play in Lafayette. It was only going to play down in Indy. Um, wasn't that, wasn't that the live broadcast though? Like, wasn't this recorded live? No, it's, it, it was, it, it didn't broadcast live. Um, I don't think because this movie talked about there was a second. Uh, they're like, oh, thanks for the after the intermission. It's the second night because it was two nights of concerts. So, oh, I see, I see. Okay. Yeah, so I I don't think when it played originally it was. This is just a wider release of it. Okay, this was like backed by popular demand through yes. Fathom. Yeah. Okay. So it was a really good time. Um, if you like Metallica, um you'll love it if you if you liked s if you don't like metallica but you liked snm1 you'll like it um my I, they played i think my favorite song off the snm album that's like 
Master Puppets is my favorite song. I love I love the S and M version of it, but um, I think my favorite song, like just off that album, was actually probably the Outlaw Torn. Um, this this one's version of it is fantastic as well. Um, it's a really good time. I was I was the most heavy metal dressed person in the theater. Um, I stuck out like a sore thumb. I wanted to look at all the people and be like. Why are you none? Why are none of you as dedicated as me? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's great. I, I highly recommend if you have the chance to go see it, go see it. It's great. Nice. Would you say you'd be a fan of it if you're into BDSM as well? Ah, uh, I mean, they have leather guitar straps. Nice. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that. That is this week's segment of Brownie Bites. Go see Parasite. Uh, look for SNM2 whenever it ends up on streaming or DVD or they, if Fathom they Events. They didn't give it an exact again. time frame. They do at the end of the movie say, uh, look, uh, or coming soon, look for the SNM DVD and CD. So it is coming. It's just, it didn't give a time frame, but it's yeah. coming. Yeah. Yeah. And if in the meantime, Fathom does it again, which maybe they will. I mean, who knows? They've um, already done it twice, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So check it out if it does do a Fathom event again. Otherwise, just keep an eye out for when it's on DVD and Blu-ray and streaming. Uh, and with that, we're going to take a very brief break. And then we are going to talk about the only film that we both saw in theaters. The Return of the Governor and Linda Hamilton. It's Terminator Dark Fate. We'll Dark right bird. <laughs> it's not bright. You can't say anything. Your fate is dark. Hell. Yeah. All right, Chewbacca, calm down. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome back. The only film that Nick and I saw in theaters together was the latest installment of the Terminator franchise and the return of James Cameron to the franchise, Terminator Dark Fate, was directed by Tim Miller, who directed the first Deadpool film. And this was written by a whole slew of people, including James Cameron, uh, David S. Goyer, Josh Friedman, Charles H. uh, Egley. Uh, Justin Rhodes and Billy Ray. So you know it's a good sign when a film has over five writers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, what did we think? I didn't like this movie pretty much at all. Um, <laughs> we don't have to waste too much time here in the uh, spoiler-free section, at least for me. I thought this movie was pretty horrible. Uh, it's easily a cookie for me. I couldn't really stand any of the performances in the film, uh, except for the guy that played uh, the new Rev Nine, the new like evil Terminator. Um, I kind of I kind of liked him. Uh, what was his name? The uh, oh, I thought I had it up here. Where is he? Is he not credited as Rev Nine? I will I will get back to him. But uh, uh, I mean, everyone else is. <sighs> okay at best i guess like Mackenzie davis isn't terrible as her not terminator her i'm not i'm not a human i'm enhanced 
she's like i she's like i'm not a human i'm augmented i'm like you're an idiot this this script was an idiot um uh, natalia reyes as uh the new linda the new girl in trouble like she's fine too i guess like i could see her taking advantage of this as a springboard to get other projects but i don't think anybody is gonna really remember her down the line specifically for this film and then uh linda's just i don't know something about linda's performance in this was like it kind of felt like that she was trying to have that kind of legacy return to the big screen like uh jamie lee curtis did with uh halloween but I just, I, I don't know. I couldn't really stand anything about her performance in this. Like, nothing came off really natural about, like, we can describe what cold place she's coming from, but, like, the cold place that she's coming from, like, after the big thing that happens to her at the start of the film, like, I just, nothing felt natural about her. Just, like, she didn't come off as, like, a natural, like, badass leader in this one versus, like, how she kind of takes the reins in T2. Like, I just... She comes across as a natural badass, but she doesn't come across as a natural badass leader. No, or human, really. It's just like, oh, right, you're – It's. it felt like her direction was just like, all right, you're just going to grit your teeth and every single line you're just going to deliver angry. But, but, I mean, where – what's the motivation of, like, the scene, though? It's like, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. You're just going to be angry about everything. It's just like, um, oh, okay, like <laughs> – I don't know. It just felt really not stilted, but it just felt so one note. I couldn't believe it. It just made me not believe anything that she was doing, like when it asked her to do something with any kind of range. Um, and then uh, Schwarzenegger in the film, it's, it's not really his performance. I have a problem with it's things they make. He's I think he's the best part, but also. It's not that great. No, what they have his character, his returning Terminator do what they write for him is really a problem that we can dissect in the spoiler section. But, um, again, that's, I mean, that was, that's my thoughts on just the performances. I, I, there's so many things with the, there's so many things like within the writing itself, I have huge issues with, I don't like any of the, the dialogue at all in this movie or any of the exposition. Like it, wouldn't you agree that so many times when the characters are just like, wait, what? Why? Why is that? And they just kind of go like, Meh, just just because or I have a lot of issues with the dialogue in the movie. I don't really know if it's what you're saying, but uh, two characters in the movie, literally the entire time they are speaking, it's a penis measuring contest. Yeah, like, so, and I and I can't st- like I literally would get mad if they just start talking to each other. Yeah, like just a lot of the dialogue. I'm just, I'm kind of talking about two things at the same time. Like the actual dialogue itself between characters is really, really lazily written, and like any time that the movie attempted to be like funny, it just was it landed flat, and I unintentionally laughed so much at some some of the like little moments that like characters had like talking to each other and then just like the story itself like it's very it's this is borrowed from somebody else but they put it so perfectly like they kind of force awakened terminator with this film but mm-hmm. they didn't do it in a good way like the force awakens worked and this film just doesn't um yeah, this is like if Force Awakens was actually as bad as some people were saying it is. Like, look, man, 
Force Awakens wasn't really an original story, but at least it honestly was entertaining. It it right. I mean, I'd say retcon, but like James Cameron has come out and said, like, this is the actual third Terminator film. I didn't have anything to do with the ones that have come out since T2. Like, to me, this is the third. Terminator 3 was was a better movie than this. I oh, my God. I mean, gonna be honest, like I barely remember anything about the third one. Or salvation, for that matter. And then I didn't even see Genesis. Uh, I've just never count your blessings. I've just never really cared about this franchise like that much. Like outside of T one and two. Term Terminator Genesis. Here's the thing. I I remember thinking very similar things about Terminator Genesis in terms of like overall quality, but I I liked it a little bit better. But this movie is just yeah. I. It's a, it's really just a waste of a lot, uh, mostly money and time, but it's, man, it's, before we started talking, I said, I couldn't really figure out if it was a cookie and, and thinking about it, I was like, you know what? It is a cookie. Um, I, I cannot stand those two characters talking to each other. Frankly, I can't really stand one character at all. Uh, Arnold really, he's in it a lot more than I thought he'd be, but he's, they make a lot of changes to his character where it doesn't make sense. Um, and honestly, it's kind of like you didn't, it's not even the same character. Not, Um, not at all. Not at all. Um, the, the action was just okay nothing was really all that great um in fact i i really had a problem with a lot of the action thinking about like terminator one and two where it's like this isn't action you'd see in one of those movies um but man i i i actually i i ended up late to this movie um we've had kind of a big thing come up at work so I w- was running late to my showing because of it. So um, I missed like the first like 10 to 15 minutes of the movie, I think. And it, so, and it turned out you missed something pretty huge literally right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. Like through most of the movies, like oh, I don't really think I missed that much. And then that like one thing gets revealed. And I was like, I think I missed that. <laughs> um, yeah. Avoid this movie as much as you can. Um, just wait until the next Terminator movie comes out. And they're like, no, wait, this is the third one. Um, cause I'm not kidding you. This, like this or the, the next one is probably going to be the third, third installment to this, to this franchise. Um, it's re- it, I was really bored. I showed up late to this movie and even I was like, all right, seriously, can you hurry up and end? Um, I, I, there's nothing enjoyable. Like there's some funny lines from Arnold, but that's really kind of it. Yeah. There's nothing even, and they're not even like hilarious Arnold lines. They're just kind of like, huh. it's just all, it was just all ironic laughter for me, except for like maybe like one or two lines. But like, if you want to go into this for just like good action too, I mean, the, the factories, <laughs> you're not going to get it. The factory scenes. Okay. And the very, very last one isn't, that bad either but like um well and, and i'll say the uh, detention center scene's actually not that badly done either um but uh they're none of them are really edited that well like some are better than others but 
the one that's in the trailer, the uh, the plane sequence one. Jesus, I had such a problem with how sloppy that was in the editing room. Plus, it's shot. It 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 honestly the it does have one of the funniest shots in the movie though when Arnold unloads an entire magazine of ammunition into the face of the one term of the new Terminator. Well, I'm glad we could see that because we could barely see anything else in that part of the film. And the action sequence after it, they decided to shoot this movie so dark. Like, I'm glad yeah. I'm glad I went to the Dolby uh, Cinema for for this screening because like i had a feeling that i would need to go to the imax or dolby for the picture because i could tell like a lot of this takes place at night and i've been to movies that are shot at night that um in a normal room like it kind of just because the projectors aren't as good like i felt like i was missing alien versus predator 2 uh yes (laughs) oh that's oh my god that's one of the worst shot night films i've ever seen um (laughs) But it wasn't it wasn't that bad, but it was definitely like even in the Dolby Cinema, which lots its 4K Dolby certified projectors, I could still barely see what the heck was going on. Like the cinematography so bad in the second half of the film. I, it's it's incredible. And with crappy editing throughout the film, too. Like, oh, my yeah. God. Before we get into the spoilers or no, I'll, I'll, I'll say it in the spoilers. Honestly, section. dude, like we both gave our ratings. It's both. We both say it's a cookie. Just move on to spoilers. Yeah, I'll just. Um, it's 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 really not worth trying to hide anything anymore. Yeah, no, it's 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 awful. Uh, this is it was such a disappointment. And like and this is from somebody that even skipped Genesis, like and people are saying it's better than Genesis. Like, I, I no, it's not. This makes me definitely not want to see Genesis even more than if this is better than Genesis. Like <laughs> it's it's less it's less of a retcon and it's less kind of insulting to the franchise. But Genesis was honestly entertaining, at least. I was bored through a lot of this movie. Oh, yeah. Dead. Deathly boring. It's definitely not worth it. But um, there's times where I honestly am like, isn't this a Terminator movie? Like, didn't this didn't it have like action? Well, I mean, there is action in it. It's just not particularly memorable. Um, but no, the uh, since I brought it up, I wanted to I'll start the spoiler section with probably my favorite example of the terrible editing in this movie. Did you notice when um, Arnold gave uh, Grace uh, Mackenzie Davis's character when <laughs> when he gave Grace the beer, it started as like a medium shot, like from their waists up. And then it just abruptly cuts, like, in the same framing, like, to a close-up of them from their, like, collars, from, like, their collarbones up. And then it immediately cuts again to Linda walking into the room. No. I don't know what happened, but, like, I'm just sitting there, and I thought something was wrong with the projector, but I just, I had to do a double take, just like, what? 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 Why did that happen? Why? Why did they just... We we have a shot and then we just cut to immediately closer to them for a split second. Nothing else has happened or changed. It's just that was a very bizarre, weird screw up in the editing to just leave in there. Like <laughs> I thought that was very the odd. Editor has ADD. Yeah, I just I was like, wait, why did we just abruptly cut to a close up when we had a medium shot? This didn't make any sense. What was I just my film school had just started spinning like. <laughs> Um, then, uh, but yeah, I just, I, everything else, like I was saying, like in the airplane, just, I hated the way that that was shot. Plus it was, it was so dark and I could barely tell where anybody was flying around the whole time. And 
I mean, it was kind of cool, like, seeing an entire plane, like, completely fall apart. And I think they wasted an opportunity not having it crash into the dam and just make it that much worse. But, I mean, it's whatever. Like, it set up the final fight in there, I guess. But um, I'll stop this little tangent I'm going on to get more focused. Um, <laughs> Nick, do you want to talk about, like, what happens at the very beginning to get this whole thing set up? Like, how... I didn't see it. Well, uh, well, I mean, we talked about it off mic, but um, I don't feel qualified to discuss it. Word. Okay. Well, you want? <laughs> I, dude, I did. I didn't see it. I'm going off your word. I I don't feel qualified to discuss it. I I didn't watch what happened. Right. Well, I mean, I still think you can comment on. It. I mean, well, you tell me if you want to. I mean, we I'll start... comment on it, but I'm not going to be like, this is what happens. Like, I. Yeah. John dies, but well, like. Well, yeah. That's Arnold. Arnold comes back. And he's a different Arnold Terminator, and he he shoots John Connor, and John's dead now. Yeah, what do you think of that though? Like as a way to kind of establish, uh, like I, this is where I, I I'm okay with it. I find it funny that the series finally was like, look, we gotta stop telling the John Connor story. Let's make someone else John Connor. <laughs> yeah, like okay, th- I I will say I I okay. Here's the, here's my one major gripe about like the future changing stuff like with the like it's now a different future. Stop calling all evil like collections of stuff legion. Stop it. That name isn't scary or creepy or disturbing anymore. You just you sound like you're just trying to set yourself apart as different by doing what literally everyone is doing. That was so that was such a lazy decision like there's so many points in this film where the writing, like I was saying, is just lazy. Like, it's it's really just the shrug emoji in real life. Just like, well, wait, why did this happen? Uh, j- because, uh, well, wait, hold on. Didn't we see this this story literally play out in Terminator, in Terminator 2? Uh, but yeah, but it's about a lady this time. And uh, she's not going to, it's not her having a kid. It's her galvanizing people to start a revolution okay well that's kind she of more or less the same thing to the leader of the resistance she is the leader of the resistance yeah you just cut oh my god that's the same end game with one less step like <laughs> that's that's the same that's the same thing just with less sperm and effort ew <laughs> oh my god um but no the uh, I, I agree i agree on paper that's not a bad way really to to set up this well now new world for us as viewers, like that is kind of an interesting. Well, it is kind of an interesting. Thing. I don't mind. I don't mind them stopping the John Connor story, but what if they change it to where like multiple Terminators are getting sent back to kill like high-ranking officials that uh, in like the government that were trying to stop cyber or cybernet or something like that? But yeah, man, I don't. I don't really want like oh it's the John Connor story just John Connor's dead it's a different person now. Well Nick that would make the that would make the villains too smart. You don't want them to be smart enough that they would actually think that worldly. You want them to be smart enough to know how to send a terminator back in time but only smart yes. enough to think about okay what's one specific person that Well our heroes are pretty stupid in the movie too. Because the entire time that Sarah Connor's on screen with Grace, it's a penis measuring contest between the two of them, and I've wanted to ram my head through a brick wall because of it. If you say 
if you say you're so, what was what was the line that she that uh, Grace said on the train the uh, if you're so great and noble why don't why do I always want to punch you in the mouth if like, you're Mother Mary why do I want to punch you in the effing face oh my god god I hate it dude they just spend the entire time, like here's the thing about that whole th- conversation Sarah Connor gets to act like a grizzled annoyed veteran because she is. Grace is just a stuck-up snobby brat who's new to the scene and doesn't understand that she's wrong 80% of the time. Like, you could, look, I get... You could excuse that a little bit because she's technically not a Terminator. She's just a human with a bunch I, of robot I, parts the, in her. Okay, here's the thing. I'm willing to excuse it the first, like, two times. But when you're wrong constantly, and Sarah Connor's right consistently, and... Is, is shown to have handled this before because she hunts Terminators now. Maybe I'm throwing it out there. Maybe you take the advice of the person that actually knows what they're doing. Yeah, like... And has proven it to you in a life-or-death situation. Yeah, like, given, like, yes, you do have all the military experience that you had, but you still... Yeah, like, you still are clearly, like, out of your depth. And... That whole yeah. that whole dynamic it between them. So those. it was so dumb that they just were constantly like, "No, I'm the alpha. No, I'm the alpha. No, I'm the alpha. No, I'm the alpha. No, I'm the alpha." It's like, God, dude, are you just gonna have this argument the whole freaking time? I was like, dude, really? Can some Terminator come back and just kill somebody? And that's what, but that's what makes me so frustrated with Linda's performance because she could have made, um, she could have made this portrayal of sarah this time around like so much more interesting but then you remember that she's literally not acted in anything besides t2 or like if she has i don't i never saw it i don't know her from anything else besides t2 like so i her her lack of range is very obvious in this like they ask her to they ask her to do things on paper that i get like she has to put up this like facade of like she wants to uh, – she's just – this is her life now is just continually hunting Terminators that keep coming back and, like, carrying the burden of her dead son. like, And that's, like, the secret pain that makes her drink until she passes out every night, like she says. But you just don't get that out of her performance at all. It's just so – it's so out of her wheelhouse. Like, it's out I, – I didn't buy it at all. Yeah, I – and honestly, I just found Grace's character really annoying. She reminded me a lot of Captain Marvel. Oh, oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate. Just like, not necessarily like the way she's written, but like the way I felt about her, where it's like, you guys really want me to like her and find her attitude charming, but I find it grating and annoying, and I want her to stop. Ooh, I won't. I, I am much kinder to Captain Marvel, but I do I I agree at least for Grace that yeah, it's not I it's can't not a, stand Grace it's not it's not I don't I, well I mean the performance itself I don't quite dislike as much as you do but I from a writing standpoint there's not yeah I I see where you're coming from in terms of like cheering for her when she's clearly like not making any of the the right choices like when she got really emotional when they found arnold schwarzenegger and she's just like no i'm gonna throw her to the bottom of a well and hide her there if i have to and then (laughs) uh and then grace is just like she doesn't get that she's speaking metaphorically or uh 
uh, or what's the right word for it? She was she wasn't speaking literally, and then she's just like, "I'm not hiding in a well." Like, she wasn't actually saying she was gonna put you in a well. Calm down, like. <laughs> speaking of the Arnold Schwarzenegger scene, that's when I found out that I apparently missed something at the beginning because I was like. I walked in at the scene where they're in the factory and she's going to go talk to her boss because they're talking about replacing Danny's brother with a robot. And I get in. I was like, oh, maybe I I was watching it. And I was like, I don't really think I missed much of anything uh, major story wise. And then they get to the house and uh, Sarah sees Arnold walk out and she starts uh, shooting at him and freaking out. And I was like, OK, maybe I missed some big story detail. What the hell are you doing, Sarah? Yeah, that was that was kind of a big deal to to miss at the very beginning, but it's I filled you in. It's all good. So now it makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to what they decided to do with Arnold for the rest of the movie. Can we you want to you want to break that down a little bit like his whole what he's been doing for yeah, almost 30 years? Uh they just destroy what a terminator is. Um terminator, you know, merciless uh, emotionless killing robot that doesn't think it just does. Um, they're like, screw that. He's now a person. Um, so get ready. Cause he's going to be overly sexualized in one movie, decide to leave a re- revolution of robots, get killed and then have his brain uploaded into the, uh, memory bank of a ship. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, so he he kills John Connor and then he's just there now and he's like I didn't have a purpose, but I met uh what was it Griselda what was her name I honestly don't remember Isabel maybe it's Isabella I think I don't like, I I met Isabella and she gave she had a son she had been beaten by her boyfriend and he was trying to do harm to her I lo- I didn't mind changing diapers and I provided structure and security and safety and I was dependable she doesn't look at me in a sexual way we just are just, we are good partners for each other I learned what the purpose is and I understood what I took from you Sarah and then I learned I learned to start caring and start being a better person and she, they're like you you developed a conscience and at that point i was went oh up yours movie um but yeah ter- the terminator now has a conscience <laughs> but not so not, here's the thing but not quite like a human as close to a human here's, as a robot can <laughs> okay here's the thing of why arnold worked as the terminator and it's not it's not been done properly since t2 arnold works as a terminator when he has almost no lines of dialogue but he's constantly in the movie. The movie now realizes that Arnold is such a uh, banking point for a movie that you can sell it that they're like, well, just have him talk a bunch because his, they'll know it's Arnold because of his voice. Like, no, I'll know it's Arnold because it's a six foot four Austrian guy who can bench press 800 pounds with his teeth. Yeah, he. Can we? Yeah, we just need a just move on from Schwarzenegger like that's what's no Arnold no Arnold really like I actually really didn't like the movie until Schwarzenegger showed up Arnold needs to be in the Terminator movies because he's the Terminator but stop making him talk stop making him have uh jokes well okay maybe not jokes but stop making him have a lot of dialogue in the movie and such a highly developed personality he's a merciless killing robot exactly adding that is all you need for him 
exactly that movie not only like pacing wise does it like just completely slow the hell down just for us to get this really stupid and implausible backstory that just it it, it doesn't work at all and like you were saying it does just ruin who this character is and to your point yeah the terminator shouldn't be anybody that gets the, the terminator shouldn't be doing this like that doesn't work or make any sense at all that just because he killed this person, like, he he now has this, like, kind of, not religious experience, but, like, he, he, he suddenly he understands. Been texting, like, after he killed John and he learned all that, he's been texting Sarah, like, uh, locations, dates, and times for Terminators coming back to, like, kill her or something. Yeah. It, so she now, she now hunts Terminators. But... Uh, he keeps saying, like, he sends all that information, then he says, uh, for John, and, uh, at the end of the movie, when he's killing the, uh, I'm gonna call it the Doc Ock Terminator, because it looks like Doc Ock, um, when they show the flashback where it's got four arms coming out of its back, but, uh, when he's, when he's killing the Doc Ock Terminator, he says, for John, and I swear to God, he says it for John. So, I because of his accent, when he says for John, it sounds like he just looked up at Linda Carter and went vagina. It's like what? Why did he just say vagina? And it took me a minute to be like, oh, he said for John. It sounded like he was like vagina. Like I was like, what? Why is he talking about that now of all times? Did I miss that in the opening too? It, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't buy for a second that he suddenly understands like this, uh, the the human exist, the human existence, or like the human, or grew a conscience. Like everything about that was just so, I oh, was just so dumb. And like he doesn't express remorse exactly for killing John, but then he still helps them, and then. I guess just magically this was the final piece for this whole B story of the of the movie where Terminator his heart grew three times that day like like the end of the Grinch God. like man uh, so uh, so uh, so dumb I uh. yeah it, it's it's he's he's like the one character that's not written annoying he's just written stupid everybody everybody's written he, everybody's like, written semi dumb to a he's, certain point he, in his time off he started a like a drapery company and there's a random scene where it just starts and he's like yeah it's really important to get the right texture and color gradient otherwise it can really throw off a room there was a guy that wanted to put solid color drapes in a young girl's bedroom and i was like no no you have to you have to have butterflies or rainbows or balloons like, Honestly, what, if it wasn't why, it's just hilarious hearing Arnold Schwarzenegger talk about drapes, and then the one guy he, uh, Linda Carter gets something, and uh, the one guy, one guy sees him, and he goes, "Is he a bodyguard?" And he goes, "No, I do drapes." Honestly, like, it was. I mean, sure, some of that's just kind of funny, like to think about, like out of context. But like, if it wasn't already in the movie, like, and. Like if SNL actually like expounded upon that, like I could. It sounds it sounds like a uh, YouTube or SNL skit like joke premise of like. Yeah, but the fact a, that it's, it's actually... a drapery company, but it's run by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, like that's too ridiculous and stupid for anyone to believe. 
I know. That's why we have to do it. Yeah, like, it would just make it even more painful, like, if they actually, like, expounded upon that. But, like, it made me think, really, though, of, like, I saw this uh, this actual ad that he did um, for um, – I can't remember what specific company, but it was, like um, – it was about uh, cutting back emissions and they had Arnold Schwarzenegger as a joke, like be a used car salesman and uh, I've seen try it. to convince people to not buy the electric car and to buy the, the super loud, like uh, the super loud, like F-150 or Hummer or like a whatever, just big rig gag or gas guzzler. And that was actually really funny. Like, yeah. Here, like, making a whole joke about, like, oh, yeah, that's how I made my living these past 30 years. I do drapes. You should get butterflies. Yeah. Like, ugh. Did we need that? Why also, speak, speaking of, like, ridiculous things that really probably aren't that way, why are, like, movies obsessed with... You want to know how it looks like just future technology stuff is happening? Just have it be a liquid metal robot and then it's hacking into the system by just like dumping liquid metal on a keyboard. I didn't. I look at that and I'm just like, you're ruining a keyboard. Like there's a scene in the movie where the, it, the whatever the new Terminator is called, Terminator for Legion is called. He's hacking into a, a video server mainframe by just like running liquid metal on that, on the wires and what's funny is I was watching that. And I was like, you know, the plastic on the outside of a wire is to act as an insulator so that it doesn't like shock someone or, or put the current through the wrong wire. So I just find it funny that he's getting all this information transmitted to him through the wires, even though he's just rubbing his liquid metal stuff all over uh, the insulator of wires. Well, he probably like is able to pierce through that and actually like get. No, this movie's stupid. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying that real. I mean, I get what they're trying to say, like, is that he's going through the wire, obviously, to, like, get that info. But that's such a it's such a trope now to can we not have a liquid Terminator anymore? Like, is there really nothing else? We need a gaseous Terminator. Did they think that? Ooh, actually, a massive killer gas. Maybe that's not a good idea. (laughs) Did they think that, like, okay, the the straight up android in the first one yeah that's terrifying and i i found it interesting ne- to combine it into one terminator though but what's stupid is it doesn't branch off into two terminators to try and have like a multiple person advantage like at all in the movie other than like a small handful of times yeah i i thought that was i, I thought it was a waste too that like it kept teasing that like it could turn into anybody like as soon as it touches somebody it can turn into them but then he just does it twice. He doesn't end up doing it to any of the main characters. Like, how did that twist actually not end up happening? And like, why doesn't he? Do, why doesn't he do what the Liquid Terminator in the second movie does, where he suddenly becomes Arnold Schwarzenegger? He after he kills him in the bottom of the river. That's like the first thing I think anyone would do. Yeah, it was more surprising that a twist didn't because happen. Because for some for reason, once. like for some reason, they're constantly going. They 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 know this thing can turn into something, and there's like multiple times they're like, no, it's it's uh. It's Sarah. We have to wait. Or no, it's Arnold. We have to wait. And then not only that, Danny is the one that runs to greet it and not Grace and not like Sarah in some scenes. Like, why are you letting the person that must stay alive? Why are you letting her go be the one that's touching something that could potentially be hostile? Yeah, I 
I don't know if that was supposed to be like its own twist in itself, just like, oh, okay, we actually are okay. Like that was a perfect opportunity to like uh, when they threw him off the plane, like to just kidding, it's actually still me, and then and then they have to like crash the plane. Like, how on earth did they not do that? I yeah. Ugh. So so many stupid things. Yeah, this is why this I is why I was telling you off mic this that this is one of the worst written films I've seen this year. Yeah, I, I saw something that was like, this is the best Terminator since T2, and I was like, uh, have you seen the sequels? That's not really much of an accomplishment. Yeah, it's not hard to be better than Salvation or Genesis or Rise of the Machines. <laughs> that bar that's like, that bar's just been getting lower like, and lower. That's like being AFC South champions. I mean, that's great and everything, but the division really sucks. That's that's the the best kid on the JV team. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool! You won MVP for the JV teams. That's cool. Did you ever play varsity? Yeah, and I well, I I was like third string. Oh, okay. Just wanted to know where you were for that. Oh, you just signed a. $24 million contract with uh, Golden State. Uh, how many minutes did you play in the finals last year? 10 minutes? Oh, oh, okay. Oh, you're a pro football player? What team do you play for? The Dolphins. Oh, right. Oh, right on. You're the you're man 53 on the Dolphins roster. <laughs> Your name's Mitch Chubisky. Hey, hey now. <laughs> <laughs> Can't throw to his left. Uh, um, I'm trying to think the... Um, what else really like i don't know i always try to say something positive i finally found that guy's name by the way um for some reason he's all oh the actor that played the rev 900 or whatever it was yeah rev 9 uh gabriel luna i want to see i want to see gabriel in more stuff like if there's any one positive i can give this movie other than just kind of the balls it had to kill john connor right in the beginning i did really like gabriel as the rev 9 if i'm being honest um uh, outside of that, outside of that, I though, will say this: I I liked him. I liked him better than uh, the girl that was in uh, uh, Terminator Three. I I don't I found him much more enjoyable than whoever was in uh, Genesis as John Connor. Um. Oh. Um. Wasn't that? Um. Oh, I don't remember. And I don't. I don't. Jai have... Courtney. <laughs> Uh, I don't. Let me see if I can pull. I up don't here. know actor names. Uh, other than other than Nicolas Cage and Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't really know who actors are. Right. Um. I think you're talking Jason Clark. I think you're talking Jason Clark. Maybe. Yeah, it says John Connor was played by Jason Clark. He was in the. Yeah. No, he was in Zero Dark Thirty and Everest and. That's who it was. Yeah. I oh I love Jason Clark. Oh, he was in... Hey, uh, so speaking of which, when do you think there's going to be a movie where Chris Pratt uh, kills the guy that was the leader of ISIS since he was the guy that killed Osama bin Laden and continued the Oakland A's winning streak? Uh, I don't know if Chris Pratt would play that guy, but I'm certain that Clint Eastwood's going to direct it. <laughs> Can you imagine if Clint Eastwood directed this movie? If he directed what? directed this movie because there's so many foreigners in it to be like slip in some racial slurs i uh ugh. the movie doesn't really call for that do it 44 magnum like what i don't oh my god i don't see him directing a sci-fi movie that'd be interesting though to see clint eastwood do a sci-fi movie like 
What's Clint Eastwood's Terminator? It's exactly the same, except the only guns in it are 44 Magnums. Yeah, or sniper rifles. <laughs> um, that one movie he's got coming out, though, actually looks pretty good. Uh, Richard Jewell. Yeah, that looks pretty good. Oh, it- what do you think? Speaking of uh, speaking speaking of Clint Eastwood, what did you think of the the face-off scene? Uh, on the bridge where it was completely spoiled in the trailer. <laughs> oh, I saw, I saw that. Um, I hadn't, I, I can't remember which movie. Um, I don't understand why Sarah, like after shooting the two Terminators, gets off the bridge and goes after. Him. I was like, why wouldn't you just like leave? Oh my God! When she's just walking away, and then they take her truck and she walks back, actually surprised, like. Why on earth are you surprised that they stole your truck? You just started to walk off to God knows where. Like, <laughs> yeah, like what are you doing? Um, God, I laughed so hard at that. After yeah, after groaning. The, the, so- well, what's funny is this movie's like. There's a lot of stuff that gets ruined from the trailer, but the thing is, I don't know if the Arnold thing would have been ruined in the trailer because when they're like, "Who's sending you these text messages?" You'd literally be like, "Well, it's Arnold because he's not really had much to do in the movie until now." Yeah, I'm um, like. I would like to talk to somebody that didn't see a trailer for this, but then still saw the movie and see if they could guess that Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to be the guy. Like, I feel like that would have been a pretty reasonable guess. Like, yeah. Like, had they seen any of the other films? Like, oh, well, this would be the right place to insert Arnold. <gasps> oh, I was right. Like, because that's yeah. how dumb, dumbly predict- yeah, predictable this is. Like, um, but no, what I was saying was uh, the whole bridge chase. Like. Um, I did basically see that whole sequence. Um, I don't remember what movie. It was forever ago. Um, something I saw in IMAX. Uh, uh, oh, it got one of those, like, here's 10 minutes of the next Terminator movie because you came to an IMAX showing. Yeah, maybe it was Lion King. When they, By the way, I've never, I've never been to a movie that did that. When they do that, do they actually say, like, here's a special clip from the next Terminator movie before it starts playing? Or do they just start playing the clip? Yeah, no, it was, it was straight up like, here's your IMAX exclusive uh, extended clip of Terminator. And it basically hmm. was the whole bridge sequence almost. Like, Weird. it didn't have the brother dying, or at least it didn't have the shot of the brother dying, but it was essentially the whole chase. Yeah, that's the thing I thought was funny, too, is, like, they show her escape with her brother, and I was like, you know what's funny is he's never really shown ever in one millisecond of the advertising for this movie, and uh, I'm positive he's going to die in this chase sequence. I didn't think he was going to die um, pinned to the truck with it exploding, but, yeah, I had a feeling that, like, Rev Nine was maybe like in a like we're we were gonna watch him like execute the brother like stab him in the back as a hostage or something like that but yeah outside of that I basically saw that whole sequence um maybe it was before Lion King or I don't know it was something I saw in IMAX. I highly 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 doubt it was before Lion King well it wasn't before it wasn't before Maleficent and I saw they're not gonna put something from Terminator before a kids movie. Maybe I don't think it was Hellboy because Hellboy was all the way back in April. Like, I mean, maybe. Oh my god, I completely forgot we even saw Hellboy. Uh, yeah, I saw Hellboy in IMAX. Um, I remember that. I remember in that review saying how forgettable it was going to be, and yeah. You really forgot we saw Hellboy? Yeah. Oh no, it's it's still burned into my mind from how ridiculously stupid and gory that movie was. Not that the gore was what I had a problem with. I had a problem with everything else in it. Dan's like, not that I had a problem with the gore. Big fan of that. But 
Well, yeah, that's the one positive you could say about Hellboy is that it actually went full hard R for a comic book character that more than deserved to be rated R outside of Logan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just... Um, I've got like nothing else to say on this movie, man. It's it's really... It, it, it felt so unnecessary. Like I, and I know it was, but like just sitting there, I was like, you're not adding anything to this. Like other than just being like, well, we killed off John Connor. Now we can just kind of have different universes. And it's not the thing continuously trying to kill John Connor. It's like, I don't, I really don't care. Yeah. It's (sighs) either. You're just continuing this story so that, you just can keep Terminator in people's minds. Doing a soft reboot, just rehash things that we saw before in better films. Like I, if if they're gonna keep this going, let's do like an actual like hard reboot or tell a different story. Like why don't we actually have a movie when the revolution starts after? Like let's just say screw it, the world actually did end. Let's have an actual like. They did. It was a uh, salvation. Oh, that's true. That's oh, that that is true. I that's see you. For, I forgot salvation. The, like you forgot. The thing, the thing about that movie is, I actually like that movie up until a certain point, and then it just isn't really a creative story. So if you get a creative story, I think it's. I think it would be neat. But yeah, man, it just you can't really take the Terminator that far because it's such a simple premise. So if we're not gonna figure out a way to think outside of the box, let's just let's just let it go. But it's James Cameron, so he won't, because James Cameron never lets He'll go. He'll build a submarine and go deeper. He, it, exactly. I just he he'll never let it go. We're probably gonna keep getting more, just like we're gonna keep getting Avatar films eventually. Like whenever those finally come out, they're never gonna stop. I I, I really don't want any more of either. <laughs> what? I don't want more of either Avatar or Terminator. I I agree. I I got nothing else to say. This movie's really this movie's just so it just, it just feels like it was This movie's putting me to sleep talking about it. It feels like it was just so lazily put together. The the dialogue is so awful. The editing is awful. If it, it feels like they made a really crappy movie and went, "Oh dear god, uh let's get James Cameron and uh involved somehow." Yeah, it, I, I, it, it's it's hard for me to imagine that it took like five people to come up with this. Like, good lord. As messy as it is, I don't find it hard to believe at all. Like, good lord. Like, this is the best that all of you guys could come up with, and it's been how many years since James Cameron? Like, James Cameron, this is the best idea that you could come up with that you would put your seal of approval on? Like, oh, might as well just do another hard reboot in three years. Like, Oh, they will. Don't worry about it. They will, for sure. Yeah. This this one definitely a swing and a miss. So, because it's it's not going to be well received. They're gonna be like, wait, 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 wait. We were just kidding with that one. Yeah. I'm starting to think they aren't kidding. <laughs> they might not be. Who knows? <laughs> um. But yeah. I mean, with that, if you don't got nothing else, I don't got nothing else. No. All right. Right on. Get to the time machine. Yes. Let's go into the time machine, and check out. The Stephen King adaptation from Stanley Kubrick of The Shining. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. 
Nick and I have just gotten out of the time machine, and we've landed here in 1980 in Boulder, Colorado, here at the Overlook Hotel, and we have just witnessed some murders and the film The Shining. This comes to us courtesy of writer and director and filmmaking legend Stanley Kubrick. This is our second Stanley Kubrick film after A Clockwork Orange. This film stars Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. Nick, knowing that you had never seen this film before, what did you think of it? I I, well, I mean, I, I love it. I love all Kubrick films. What did you think? Especially because you infamously didn't like A Clockwork Orange. Well, what's funny is I, I, I know I told you. I don't remember if I said it on mic for an episode, but I know I told you. I have tr- I had tried watching this movie one time, and I at some point fell asleep early on in the movie. I was watching it on TV. I fell asleep at some point early on in the movie, and I never really saw much of anything. And watching this movie, I actually found out that, I, you know, when I watched it, it was close to like, I thought it was like 45 minutes to an hour into watching it on TV. And I found out when I started watching this, I fell asleep right after they finished the uh, the drive up in the opening for him to have his interview. So <laughs> I only saw like three minutes of the movie and fell asleep. So yeah, I really had never seen anything in this movie. Yeah. You literally, I, yeah. I, oh my God. That was so funny when you told me that I was just like, you're like, yeah, uh, I saw up Turns to when out he started it was way sooner than I thought. Yeah. You're like, Hey, I, I saw up to when he started getting the interview. I'm like, so you saw literally none of the movie. Like, yeah, um, I really liked it. Uh, this is one of those movies uh, where, you know, it, it's done by an artsy director and there is a lot of artsy stuff in it, but this is like the kind of artsy I like, where it's like, all right, you got the stick out of your ass and you're actually making something entertaining instead of just being like, look at me be artsy. Um, well, this is, Hold on, you finish your thoughts. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Finish your thoughts. But I, I really like it. I give it a full pan of brownies with sprinkles on it. Um, I will say this. I did fall asleep watching it again, but I managed to rewind it to where I fell asleep. I only missed like 20 minutes. Reround it to where I sleep, fell, fell asleep, hit play, so I saw the whole movie. Loved it. I thought it built atmosphere very well. Uh, Jack Nicholson... The one criticism I'll give him, and I heard that I heard this um, in a review. I think it was the Nostalgia Critic review of the Stephen King miniseries that of this that came out much later. Um, Jack Nicholson really just looks like he stopped behaving properly. Like he didn't really descend into madness. He just stopped being polite. Um, but his crazy's so good, I forgive him. Um, oh, Jack. J- oh, my God. I love Jack Nicholson in this film. I think this is one of the most cinematic expressions of pure madness that it has ever been captured on film, frankly. I mean, yeah, his, having, his, having just his seen crazy Joker, is so good that I'm willing to forgive that he wasn't super sane to begin with. Um, yeah, but the I, I really like that they got a child actor who will enunciate and not just like kind of like mumble their like mumble their words into like one thing um oh Shelley, that, i love danny lloyd yeah shelly duvall gives a really good appearance or not appearance gives a really good uh performance but i don't know why but even when she's 
calm like her face she just looks and like she's scared and going insane so yeah that was something she i got i got interesting trivia about what somebody said about her performance um but i keep keep going like uh that's that's it i i really liked it i i i really liked the story i liked the atmosphere um uh, yeah, I just I liked it all around. Okay, I will really, give really my... liked it. I would love to watch it again. Um, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Having owned the Blu-ray, I may bring it up with me next time I come see you, or if you come down here, maybe we'll watch it together again. Yeah. Because um, I do want to ask you one question after I give my hot take on it. Um, this is definitely not the first time I've seen this film. I've seen. Um, the, uh, the two Kubrick films I've probably seen the most are in ranking A Clockwork Orange, Dr. Strangelove, and then The Shining, wherein I just mean, this is definitely not the first time I've seen this. I, I find this movie absolutely horrifying. I think, like Nick said, the way Kubrick just builds the tension through the atmosphere, all the, the horrendously long takes, uh, through Steadicam and Dolly, uh, the way he just takes his time, like we're in the hands of another filmmaker. I've seen films that think they're building atmosphere or think they're setting the stage, but really it's just hopelessly stupid exposition and just nothing is happening. And it just, it just pads out the the, the runtime to no end where as in this film, everything just, feels like it's either adding to us getting to actually understand the character or really just make this hotel absolutely horrifying all the way up to how it builds to the absolute very end when the poo hits the fan um the jack is the door <laughs> blood pours out of the elevator <laughs> again yeah um uh, uh also, like Nick said, Jack Nicholson is phenomenal in this film. Just another example, like with uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, As Good As It Gets, The Departed, um, you name it, like about Schmidt. Just one of the greatest actors uh, to have ever been on the screen. The Joker and the original Batman movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shelley Duvall, um, God bless her. I, I, she had a good, she had a great career. Um, she kind she's been in retirement since 2002 for um, it's developed more into more personal reasons like why but she kind of just came she just kind of fell out of acting really and she's like I said she's got a lot of things going on in her personal I, life I now asking you if she was on drugs no I, I we can talk about her more in detail but I for this performance I loved Shelley Duvall in this she was just she was so perfect in it. I, I loved her performance. Um, and what I was going to tell you was Jack Nicholson has said on the record that what Shelley was asked to play uh, through Wendy's character was one of the most challenging tasks for an actress that Jack had ever read. So he thought that this was one of the best female performances that he'd ever seen either. Yeah. Like. Um, and I, I, I agree. Well, I mean, not to that, ex- I'm not going to go out that far, but I think 
Shelley Duvall did a phenomenal job of the film. I like, I really enjoy Danny Lloyd too. Danny Lloyd, um, given half of the film, he's just like, okay, just look scared. Just open your eyes and open your mouth, Danny, and I'm going to zoom Danny in on Lloyd, you really the child fast. Actor. Is he related to Jake Lloyd, the child actor? No, no, no relation. But they both fell out of acting pretty, pretty notably fast after their most notable films. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, Danny Lloyd has not acted in anything outside of The Shining, much as Jake Lloyd didn't really act after Phantom Menace. Um, but Once they were it, done with those movies, they put the cookie down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But Danny really, um, Danny's had a pretty decent life, um, as far as I could tell. He, um, he, I believe he's a teacher. I don't have it right here in front of me. But Danny Lloyd just went on to have like a normal. I, I, I think he's a teacher. Um, I could be wrong though. Um, but yeah, no, he never did anything after this film. So, um, but like I said, he's he's great in this too. Um, Scatman Crothers as a uh, Holleran, the uh, the head chef. I love Scatman in this. What did you What did you think of him? I liked him. Nice. Um, yeah, it's just. Um, I'm trying to. Th- I thought he I thought he acted very well when he had an axe stuck in his chest. Yeah. I believed um, him. I believe that he had an axe stuck in his chest. Yeah, I I love. Um, I loved all the scenes with him and Danny. I thought he, I thought he did a great job. I, um, I'm trying to. Th- is Kubrick would recast some people in films. I mean, he wasn't like he didn't stick with the same ensemble, like say like an Apatow or um, anyone like that. But I kind of, I don't know. I'm surprised that I never saw Scatman in another Kubrick film, or um, and I've never really seen. I can't know. I can't remember anything notable that like he like stood out in either. Um, Maybe that's just my own fault, but um, well, wasn't he's a musician, isn't he? Um, that's a great question. I didn't really research him specifically that much. Uh, yeah, just I think I think he's a musician, so I mean, it's not really like in his forte to be an actor. Oh no, you're right. You're right. Okay, I just pulled him up, and he actually, wow, holy crap, he does have a lot of actors credits. Wow. <laughs> But yeah, he's got a lot of uh, music credits too. So, um, oh, fun fact: he's from Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, yeah, so, no way. Song, song, songwriter, actor, composer, singer. Yeah, no, you're right. He's. Uh, oh, he okay. He was busy. Yeah. Okay. No, you're you're right. That's my own ignorance. Uh, not knowing Scatman. Off the screen, he actually did have a pretty good musical career. <laughs> Sorry, that's why it's not Brownie Points Guide to Your Record Collection. Um. <laughs> if you want to hear us discuss music, to turn in for the review of uh, Metallica, Some Kind of Monster, and Metallica S and M Two. Other than that, we don't really talk about it that much. Yeah, um. but you're 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 the film you're the person who's like artsy through film. I'm the guy that's artsy through music. So yeah, like a lot yeah. of like I. I'm. I feel like I'm just having trouble articulating exactly like, because there's so many there's so many things about the making of this film that I want to talk about. Like not just like the film itself. Like we both we both agree this film is absolutely horrifying. And I I want to ask you, um, now that I've established that I'm giving this a full pan of Brian's with sprinkles, one of the scariest films I've ever seen. Um, what do you think this film's underlying 
message is about because famously Stanley Kubrick among many things that or uh, not Kubrick uh, Stephen King among many things that he had issues with with this film um, for some reason he hates this movie well I through again not having read The Shining myself but through subsequent research Kubrick literally like threw the book out the window and brought in co-writer uh, Diane uh, Johnson, who's a novelist herself, uh, to basically rewrite this movie from scratch. And while it does share elements of The Shining itself, uh, it it deviates away from it in many regards, wherein the big thing that uh, Stephen King said that he had a big gripe with was that um, alcoholism being uh the biggest thing like the biggest cause of the psychosis that jack goes through um i don't think that the film really abandons that per se but implying that like it's a bigger issue than actual like spirits and things like that like making it more of like a traditional like elevator yeah, like uh, like all these supernatural elements that you would think that came from Stephen King, like more overtly. Like I, I mean, maybe that's just from me having not read the book itself. But I don't him having a gripe with uh, the lack of the alcoholism being a big bigger thing. Like I think the alcoholism is kind of a big. Like it, it, that's yeah, one way that you. I think it's kind of weird that he's like it's not in the movie enough. It's like. Is his blood supposed to be alcohol? Like, how much more did it need to be in there, man? Well, that's the thing. Like, I think you can... That's that's kind of the Rorschach test with this movie. Like, and I'm not going to stand on a soapbox and say that I think the film has one or one definitive way to read into it. Whether I think it's uh, a message about alcoholism or it's a straight-up ghost story or it's about the plight of the Indians or anything like that. Like, I think that's part of the beauty of this film is that it's so... Um, open to interpretation and ambiguous in many regards thematically. Um, that, so that's that's the question. Is like, what did you? How did you read this film as to the like what the actual like source of the horror is, or like thematically what made I, Jack I, Honestly, crazy? what I thought the theme was was just uh, mentally unstable people in uh, in a. Uh, I don't want to say failing, but um, in a not super healthy marriage, uh, when faced with extreme isolation uh, and outside influences can cause insanity or can cause the marriage to crumble in insanity. Um yeah, I don't really think it's just alcohol's the root of all evil. So you think that so I mean, what do you think like it's do you think it the um, it really does kind of lean more into like sensation sensationalizing it with like the supernatural elements in it and then just alcohol is just a part of it? Like that's where you're kind of getting at? Yeah. Like their their marriage really isn't that great to begin with. Like before stuff starts going wrong, they're not really like 
like they're married, but they're not really all that in love. And what I think it is, is I think it's, you know, she talks about how Jack hasn't had a drink in however long. And it's got one of those things where you can tell he's very bitter that he was forced to choose. Um, but yeah, I, he's, yeah, he's picked up over that or he had to choose alcohol or his family, but yeah, yeah, I if if you were to say alcohol's the devil is the point of this story, I think that's a very narrow-minded way to look at it, which is funny coming from the author. Well, yeah, that's I well, that's all I mean is that like again, as, assuming you haven't read the book either, like this Well, this, let me stop you there. Um no, because it involves reading. <laughs> I'm just saying that goes, like it goes back to something I said in an, a much earlier episode. I don't read. I mean, I can, but I don't. Right. I mean, I'm not. I don't spend the main time that much time reading books either. But I'm just saying that like that was apparently at the time like this was where this was something that Cooper or I keep saying I keep getting the names mixed up. This is something that King was very much dealing with, like because King has gone through his own many substance abuses, whether it was like drugs or alcohol. And he vetted, <laughs> he vetted a lot of uh, the alcoholism that he was dealing with through The Shining, allegedly. So, Can you imagine if Jack Nicholson had the same drinking problem that the guy from Airplane did? <laughs> oh like throws the drink and it hits a ghost. <laughs> well, I well, I mean, yeah, that would have been a much different scene in the uh, the gold room, the the golden ballroom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but no, I just the way that it's still, I still think that's, I don't think it was abandoned so much. Like it's kind of fascinating, like to 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 see as much as I did that. Well, the other thing too, if someone were to focus on it that much for two hours, man, that would have gotten really old. Like, yeah. dude, I get it. Can you please do something deeper than just alcohol is bad? And that's why I'm thinking that you, from the the way that you just said it, that you and Kubrick were when, on the same page. Well, when, but when I, when I say outside influences, alcohol is one of them, but there's a supernatural element, and they're isolated. There's multiple elements that lead to, lead to someone going insane and failing. Yeah. Like, it's awfully simplistic just to go, alcohol, boom. That's like... You know what? I'm not going to say that what I was going to say cuz it's way too political for this podcast. Okay, you can just tell me off mic then. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not going to say it cuz I'm not going to start that debate. Yeah, and um but no, but, I, it, but back to the movie. Like it it that's that's a really simplistic and kind of lazy way to go about it is just to be like boom, alcohol next. And not, and I'm not saying that I think that that is what it's exclusively talking about. Like I think that the way you've been saying it, I think that must have been the same way that Kubrick was thinking about this too. So because he does add in like so many supernatural elements to it, and the fact that um, there's the fact that they weren't having a great relationship in the at all, like it's already suspect. That's just like, like that that typewriter scene where he goes. When you hear me doing this, or you don't hear me doing that, just leave me the f alone. Like I was like, you know what? I don't really think the hotels had a chance to take hold of him yet, so they just suck at being a couple. Yeah, like maybe he was 
just maybe to, he was starting to dabble, but I was like, that's a pretty harsh reaction for where his mind should be at this time. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's not that alcohol makes you a worse person. If alcohol does make you a worse person, quote unquote, you are a terrible person to begin with. Yeah. So, I agree. Like it that that implicit uh, note, like apparently it was something else different that that Kubrick. Uh, saw in there that could enhance the story like maybe they weren't perfect to begin with which or or even in the car like when they're in the car and he's and danny's just like daddy i'm hungry well you should have eaten your breakfast before we hit the road just like the tone he had with that stupid waste of sperm and effort (laughs) (laughs) by the way that's my that's like my favorite insult i i don't know where i heard it but someone was like if you really want to get at someone, just say they're a waste of sperm and effort. And I was like, that is so mean on a literal cellular level. <laughs> that's 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 cold, dude. Like that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> Brandy well, points guy to cinema. All other all other podcasts are a waste of sperm and effort. <laughs> no, it someone just be- walks up to him and is like, I gotta ask you, what is up with the shirt? No, it needs, if it's going to be one of our shirts, it needs to say a waste of sperm and bandwidth. <laughs> um, but um, but no, the um, back to the movie. Um, I guess if we're no, not going to do, let's continue to talk about effort <laughs> um, and sperm. It, oh, oh, oh no, let's not. Um, well, actually, let me use this to go into a segue as to which scene scared me the most. The menstrual um, elevators? <laughs> no, uh, the the woman in the bathtub. I I want to ask if that scare was the scene that scared you the most because that single handedly is still the most terrifying scene in the film for me. When uh, when Jack goes into the the room two thirty seven. No, um, what I what I think the scariest scene in the movie is. And nothing in the movie really scared me. It was just kind of more disturbing. Um, was Jack with the axe pre-cutting the bathroom door? Um, the not by the hair on my chinny chin chin line was kind of unnerving. Wait, are you talking about the here's Johnny? Yes, but it's before here's Johnny. Oh, okay. Um, cause that dude, everyone has seen that and parodied that to death. So, well, I got, I, uh, sorry, finish your thought. So I wasn't super freaked out by that, but like the stuff he was saying and doing before that was very freaky and worked on me very well. Oh yeah. The, everything with him just freaking out in general and he's got the limp and like, no, I mean, I'm not saying that that's not terrifying either. Like, yeah. um, it's funny that you say that, um, that's been parodied to death, which is, correct it has been um that line itself was actually improvised and a parody itself of the ho or the announcer of johnny carson yeah. always introducing johnny carson with and here's johnny like <laughs> and honestly i didn't so, know that i didn't know so that for a you, long what time what's funny is when right when uh, the night i watched this movie you had texted me saying something about how much you loved uh the simpsons parody of this and I'm not kidding you. 
I watched the Simpsons parody of this on TV. It just randomly popped up. And as soon as that ended, I put in the DVD and started this movie. Shh. You want to get sued? <laughs> so, but but I, I just love the Homer part where he's like, here's Homer. Don't! He just keeps going to the wrong room. <laughs> and I'm Andy Rooney. All, all of that tonight on 60 Minutes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that parody uh, or no, that my favorite part of that parody was um, literally like right at the very start where they're just like, did you remember to lock the door? Go. Bing! Yeah. Well, what about the back door? We left grandpa Go! at home and he just keeps driving. <laughs> what about I think was, um, one I think scene was... that actually worked for me that was pretty decently scary was the uh, the all work and no play scene when he's talking to her when he's like, sweetie, honey pie. Light of my life. I was like, I think he hates her. <laughs> I nope. see no love in this man's eyes. Oh my god, that that is that was one bit of trivia. I, I was um, I didn't know if we were gonna just let me go through a whole list of trivia that I had, but um, since you brought it up, that scene alone took over a hundred and twenty takes. What? I'm not joking. Like, I I mean, we talked about it. Probably I don't remember how much in detail I got into it before when we talked about Kubrick with Clockwork Orange, but uh, he was a very notable perfectionist, kind of like David Fincher now, but even worse. Wherein, <laughs> but even would, David Fincher's like, dude, dial it down. Yeah, like just take after take after take after take, and Jack chasing uh, Wendy up the stairs. Literally took a hundred and twenty takes before Kubrick Good. finally was happy with it. And Good God, dude! If that's I, why was I was Shelley Duvall, I'd go insane too. That's why I was saying, like, I was trying to save a lot of the other trivia that I still have here, but I told you that Shelley Duvall literally like had a mental breakdown, and at one point was even like needing bed rest in the middle of filming and losing her hair. Because Stanley Kubrick was pushing her so hard while they were filming this movie. Jesus. It liter- it, it took 52 weeks in total to film this movie. It took Just a whole year? 52 weeks to film this movie. That's not even how long it took him to shoot Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut took like a year and a half to film that movie. <laughs> so you're saying he finished early? <laughs> relative to that film uh that's su- that's such an appropriate pun for the themes of eyes wide shut um <laughs> but uh but no um same with um same with jack cutting down the door he in a past life was actually a volunteer fireman kind of like steve buscemi and stanley kubrick thought that jack was cutting through the doors too fast and he had to cut down nearly 40 doors before Kubrick was happy with a take of him chopping through the door. I thought the uh, camera work on the axe swings was pretty interesting. Well, Kubrick was actually the man holding the camera that time. Like, he actually stepped in and was that V camera operator specifically for looked, that scene. It looked like it was like a rolling, sweeping action. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say whether it's on a tripod or if... He was just actually swinging the steady cam around himself, yeah. but but no, Kubrick wanted to man the camera uh, again himself for that scene, and yeah, 
nearly 40 takes. Like, I think it was like 36, 38, something like that. But yeah, that means that Jack had to actually cut down that many doors because it's not CG. Like, they had to have that many doors on hand to to reinstall in between takes for him to they just kept moving rooms in the hotel. Can you imagine yourself like being on a set like that? Like, no. well, even as a crew member, <laughs> like just watching that over and over and over imagine again. Imagine being the boom mic operator. My arms are tired. I want to go home. Just pick a damn shot. <laughs> what was different between him cutting down that door versus him cutting down that door? Like, <laughs> I'm out of 120 I- takes, man. I'm out of tape. You may be out of film, but we're not getting any sound for this. Like <laughs> he's like throws the mic at the ground. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, in, in like take number eighty-one, there's just a stick on the floor. <laughs> Fun fact: that's the boom mic. Yeah. Um, I want to talk actually, like real quickly, since we are a little bit technically, um, the inventor of the Steadicam, uh, Garrett Brown was actually really involved with um doing with uh, with shooting this film like before this film uh steadicam had been used on uh rocky specifically like tying it into the show um but it also had been on um in my notes here bound for glory marathon man but like the the shot of him running up the stairs like that spinning that was steadicam so this wasn't invented for The Shining, but Garrett Brown was enticed to come onto this film and um, was really working in collaboration with Kubrick to figure out like ways to really push the Steadicam uh, technology, which I just think we need to appreciate this film in itself for um, how, being, how, how big a landmark this was, more so than like even Rocky before this to capture those shots of like Danny just rolling through the hotel on his big wheel or running through the hedge maze. I love the sound design for all the big wheel scenes when he goes from hardwood to carpet. Oh yeah. The way it, the way it, it all of a sudden gets muffled. I really liked the sound design in those scenes. I, as I, cool as they were to be shot, I, I love this. When when someone does sound design that makes me go, ooh, I love that sound, I, I really like it. It was one of those moments, too, where it was notable that the score was actually really absent. Like, yeah. I love the score in the film itself, though, but uh, what's the, the phrase, less is more? Like, yeah. It's a pretty minimalistic it, score, too. Yeah. I mean, when it's there and it's when it's there it works and it's gangbusters and it's absolutely horrifying but like danny walking through or rolling through the hallways or up until jack is hugging the woman and he pulls back and then the score comes and she's just a big corpse like the way it would interweave like that or even um when it's absent in the bar and jack's just talking to the 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 bartender uh aka the devil um (laughs) Oh, actually, I want to talk since I just said that. Um, what did you think of? Um, what did you think of uh, the bathroom, uh, which some people have called literal hell? Like the what did you th- the all red one. Yeah, uh, after the bar, after the uh, server spills all the drinks on him, and it turns out that that was the previous tenant, and like 
did you pick up on the visual cues of that like apparently being not quite like Dante's Inferno but like this being like hell like he's reached the bottom like this is well I mean going into a public bathroom at a bar typically is going into hell um Oh, dude, I wish I I wish I'd been into more bathrooms as nice there as that. There was compared surprisingly to, a large lack of water all over the floor, and uh, a lack of lack of graffiti. Yeah, but I I like that scene, especially once they reveal that he was the previous tenant, which that's something I do want to point out. I, I like I, they they in this movie they're like yeah, one of the last guys we had that did this. Uh, he went insane and he murdered his family and then uh, committed suicide by shooting two barrels of a shotgun in his mouth. And then I like how they just kind of pause and he's like, but you're cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love it. They're like, uh, an unbelievable tragedy has occurred. Let's do nothing to address it. <laughs> we also we also found a guy in a bear suit with um, with some human uh, with a cage. Yeah, with some other human um, juices, let's say, that weren't his. No. <laughs> he had some honey on him. <laughs> he went into a honey pot that wasn't his own. Um. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I liked I liked the scene. I liked when we found out that it was the previous tenant, and I liked when he showed up later in the movie, too. Yeah, I, I think that – I mean, I said that the, the bathroom scene was – the scene that scared me the most, but I think Dan my... was horrified by the turd that was laying in the toilet. <laughs> I think my favorite overall moment in the movie, though, like even more so than how scared I was, like about room two thirty seven, was um was the hell bathroom, like just that revelation and that being like uh not the straw that broke the camel's back per se, but just that being the the final glimpse of sanity that jack had before he just went on his own rampage like i just everything about that was just so just unsettling and disturbing especially the caretaker's performance i don't have him specifically there uh, or up here in front of me but god who that would, guy's uh, performance was amazing who would you cast nicholas cage to play in this movie okay well the easy answer would be him and Jack's performance. I mean, I I, I, did... I actually would not because I think it'd be great to have Jack Nicholson going crazy with crazy Nick Cage in a movie with him. So okay. I would actually play uh, cast him to play uh, the bartender. Oh my god, Nick Cage as the bartender would be amazing. Yeah. I would you like another Mr. Torrance? <laughs> Your son, Mr. Torrance, has got to go. You can't live with him. You can't live without him. <laughs> or uh, cast him to play uh, his son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I would pay top but not, dollar. But not de-age him. He's just like... <laughs> I would pay What's Jack top... Nicholson in this movie? Mid-40s and then Nick Cage in this movie is like mid 30s like cast like same age he was in uh con air oh i was gonna say nick cage would Can you have imagine been... nick cage riding a big wheel <laughs> dude but it's not like it's not like upscaled for his body it's just a tiny ass kid's big wheel <laughs> nick cage back at that time would have been like maybe in his teenage years i think thinking about for it con air no 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 i'm saying oh. like 
Nick Cage in 1980 because um oh god how 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 soon before this was uh Raising Arizona Air I mean how soon after No Raising Arizona or uh, Raising Arizona was in 1987 Dude remember how young he was in Raising Arizona Yeah that's a good yeah, movie Yeah so so take another 7 years off of that like Nick Cage was born in I'm going to pull it up here because I want to here we go. Nicholas Cage. He was born in 64. So for this to come out, he would have been 16 years old when this came out, which means he would have filmed this when he was 14 and 15, probably. Like, yeah, I think it'd be hilarious. Um, I'm not saying it would be. I, I'm not saying it wouldn't be hilarious for a 15 year old Nick Cage to be in this role. Like it would have been kind of odd, I guess. But come no, play 50, with us, Danny, right? forever. Uh, and ever no am i getting through to you brutally murdered ghost twins red rum red rum danny's not here mrs torrance <laughs> oh my god what if you recast nick cage to be uh uh not sharon stone what's the lady's name uh shelly duvall what if he was recast to play shelly duvall he's got the same crazy eyes <laughs> Oh my god, you're okay. She's not I okay. We're not going there. What was what is it that I said? She looks like Sid from Ice Age. Yeah, you said she looks like Sid the Sloth from Ice Age. Like <laughs> She's not that ugly. She's not even ugly. I'm not even gonna say that. I think she's kinda pretty. I'm not say, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying your eyes and facial structure reminds me of Sid the Sloth from Ice Age. <laughs> and she sounds like take that take that how you want <laughs> and she sounds like john leguizamo <laughs> oh my god what if we recast this movie with nick cage and john leguizamo oh my god that'd be so no no stay away jack stay away i'm not gonna hurt you i'm and just hay- gonna... hayden christensen's their son oh, oh my god no i <laughs> He's like, their their father slaughtered them like animals. <laughs> I not, think we've got a good idea just, going, actually. And not just his mother, his son, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. I think we're getting too far off this movie. Um, I didn't even... God, there's not even really much else trivia to really get into outside of just how crazy... I mean relatively crazy can you Cooper imagine was. can you imagine if like i know they said they weren't a ski resort but can you imagine if like when uh shelly duvall and danny are running away if they like hey let's let's get on these skis and let's ski down the mountain to get away from here as fast as possible and then you see jack nicholson skiing and he's still holding the axe with his crazy face <laughs> going, <laughs> going like 50 miles an hour on skis down the side of this mountain that'd be that would be funny Danny um, boy <laughs> I'm Danny! getting hypothermia Danny <laughs> Is that how your parents called you? Danny boy No, thank God, no. It was a much more stern and equally terrifying Daniel Like <laughs> your dad just one day entered your room holding an axe and you're like, What are we doing? He's like, We got a tree to cut down. No, I <laughs> No, I 
I, I don't know. That's there's there's a few films that I'm surprised that they have seen. Like um, like when I was um, when I was volunteering at a performing arts theater, and I told them that um, uh, Dirty Dancing the musical showed up, and I really wanted to see Dirty Dancing because I love the musical. My mom was like, "Oh, that's one of your father and my favorite films," and I'm like, "What?" You know what happens in that movie, right? Like, and they're like... Someone oh, get yeah. an abortion or something? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what happens. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what happens in Dirty Dancing. So I was just, I was just referencing it because I saw Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and there's one of those in that movie, and I'm like, they just kind of move on from it. I'm like, no, that's a pretty big thing. You should oh, no. probably address it more than just like, oh yeah, she got it, bye. Oh no! An abortion is a big plot point in Dirty Dancing, and again, having does not the seen main the... girl get one in Dirty Dancing? Not the main girl, but um. Why are so many background characters of eighties, eighties uh, movies getting abortions? Well, it was. I. I mean, that's a whole another topic we can talk about. But and I'm not that's... even saying that as like for a joke. I'm just, like, why is that like a subplot of eighties movies? Well, back to the what I was saying, like that was why I was like, oh my god, you guys watched and enjoyed that movie? Because like I have fairly conservative parents. I'm not saying that pejoratively, but I was it shocked me. And then she was like, oh yeah, and we loved it. And I'm like, I, I, I'm glad we both love this, but really, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we love it, but why? I, from knowing you, the twenty plus years I've known you, you like a movie that's got a back alley abortion in it. Like, <laughs> it's a back alley one. Well, it's it's. Uh, I'm not trying to spoil the whole thing because I do want it to be a time machine film. But <laughs> Jesus. Uh, or uh, well, fine. No, it's 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 threatened to be a back alley, but then it ends up not being. Um, I it's mean, it's a front the alley. It's, yeah, it's a it's a it's a main alley. Um, to the best of my recollection, I believe she ends up getting a regular abortion instead of the back alley. But I just it, it, you have to forgive me. It's been like four years since I've seen it. So, yeah, um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. Um, and you have anything else to say about The Shining? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm kind of at a loss for words after that revelation about Dirty Dancing. So that means uh, Dirty Dancing's the next Time Machine film, right? <laughs> no, I gotta. I still gotta pick my bad horror movie one, and you got what's coming up for you, which yeah. whoopee. <laughs> yeah, which is not which is not Dirty Dancing. Um, as much as I would love to watch, although their feet are dirty. Yes. Um. Let's not spoil it. Let's go ahead and get back in the Time Machine so we can actually announce it. Um. I don't have anything else to say. I. The, the Shining's a full pan of Brandies with Sprinkles, just like every other Kubrick film, frankly, in my opinion. He was one of the greatest directors we've ever had. Yeah, it's it's really good. I like it. Um, glad I finally got to see it. It's uh, it, I, I get its place as a classic. And uh, yeah, it's fantastic. All right. So with that, not not to toot my own horn. I'm just I'm really glad that I picked it. And I'm glad, too, especially since we got um, a movie related to this coming up next week as well that we will talk about here in just a moment, along with what our next trip in the time machine will be after this quick break. We'll be right back.
All right, everybody, welcome back. That is it for this week's episode of Brownie Points. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, thank you to Isla Marfin of Fugay for the okay. music. <laughs> Next week, Nick and I are coming back to you with a relatively smaller episode than usual. We Finally. are only... <laughs> we are only going to one movie next week, and it is ironically the follow-up to this week's Time Machine film, Doctor Sleep, starring Ewan McGregor, and yeah, Nicolas Cage? I, no, no Nicolas Cage. It's oh. Ewan McGregor, and um, it's from the guy that created and was the showrunner of The Haunting of Hill House uh, on Netflix, uh, Mike Flanagan. Uh, adapted from the subsequent novel from Mr. Stephen King, but apparently he likes this film more than he liked The Shining, so we'll let you know what we think. He also if... liked cocaine. I don't think he's a very good judge of what's good. Used to like cocaine, let's be fair. <laughs> I said liked. I did say past tense. <laughs> um, yeah, and then in regards to a Brownie bite segment, um, as usual... We, we will... actually have a list. Yeah, we're going to do a list. Um, we will reveal that, as we always do uh, in the episode. We're going to leave you hanging because we always like that being a surprise. Um, and then for the time machine, it is my pick because Nick picked The Shining. And we are going to deviate away from horror films, finally, after five consecutive weeks of horror films. <laughs> now we're just going to see a horrible film. Uh, yeah, well, maybe, maybe, I'm, uh, I'm not, I don't remember this film well enough to say one way or the other, but it's definitely not shaping up to be a movie that should be any good, at least, uh, at face value. Maybe it'll be so bad, it's great. Um, <laughs> we're gonna watch 1994's live-action adaptation of the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, The Flintstones, starring John Goodman and, and Rick Moranis. And the crowd a resort... <laughs> Gives a roaring. Eh. What? Say that again. I said, and the crowd gives a resounding. Meh. <laughs> but it's got John Goodman and Rick Moranis and Rosie O'Donnell and uh, Kyle MacLachlan and Halle Berry. How Is could John this Goodman movie... chugging gravy out of a gravy boat like in Family Guy? How could this movie not be fantastic? Uh, did you did you ever see the final product? Yes, I saw that. I saw that's it. how. I, okay, I saw this a while ago, but I cannot say in good conscience um, any kind of rating. It's been way too long. I I am very excited to give this a reappraisal. It's a family film. It's a nice way to break it up because I know you want to go back into horror two weeks from now. But uh, I think this is the perfect kind of film that The Time Machine is built for. So uh, it's on Netflix if you all want to join us as well. Uh, like I said, it is the live-action adaptation of The Flintstones. Nick, uh, let everybody know where they can reach out to us on social media. Uh, you got three choices. Brownie Points Guide to Cinema for uh, Facebook, at Brownie underscore Cinema for Twitter, and Brownie underscore Points underscore Guide uh, on Instagram. We also have a Gmail Brownie points guide to cinema at gmail.com. Send us ideas for talking, uh, or I'm sorry, Brownie Bites ideas, movies you want to make sure we go out of our way to see in theaters, and time machine topics you want us to do. 
All right, and if you are listening to us and have not hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that and leave us a review along with the star rating. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Anchor.com, and just continue to spread the word whether you've been with us since the very beginning or just now joining us. We appreciate and love all of you. Uh, Also, keep an eye out. We have been doing our Brownie Points Guide to Cinema Star Wars recap bonus episodes along with our regularly scheduled episodes like this. Uh, We have currently talked about Star Wars episodes 1 through 3 and Solo, a Star Wars story. Rogue One is going to be our next episode and... After that, we will follow the rest of the films all the way from episode 4 through 8, leading up to episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. So there is that bonus content along with our regular theatrical releases in Time Machines. Uh, If you have any thoughts on that, feel free to reach out to us in all the ways that Nick said as well. And with that, that is all we got for you all. We will see you next week. I hope my film franchise is not back. Oh, what about Daredevil? Do you go into that one blind? Oh, God, I wish I was blind when that movie was done. That was horrible. <laughs> Take that, Ben Affleck. Ugh, you're, a great, you're a great director, but you're a terrible Daredevil. <laughs>